I do love you guys so much. And uh, Yep, he said, Carrie, do you guys love you? I'm happy to keep doing it. So this is not a farewell speech, okay? <laughs> and I know a few of you might have been a little disappointed when you saw the last name of the person who's preaching. It's not my wife today. Although I have no problem agreeing with probably all of you that my wife, Dorothy, is the best preacher in the household. And, you know, we do bless all the moms today and bless my own mom, hopefully watching online. But we want, I want today to be encouragement to every woman in the room. And, you know, uh, women, I think you're going to be pretty engaged because this is all about you. But men, this is for you too. We need new eyes. We need to see as God sees. It's important for you. You need to understand the benefit of the women in your life. That could be a friend, it could be your coworker, could be your mom, and maybe you're married, so it could be your wife and it could be your daughters. Like mine, sitting in the front row. But we need to understand, sorry, why did I look at you? We need to understand God's intent for creating women. You know, we can be an advocate for them. We can encourage them. We can include them. We can value them. So men, listen up. Throughout the Bible, we see many references to women. You know, even in the midst of a male-dominated society. Now, because of that, much of the Bible is filled with stories about men. And Jesus' closest disciples were men. Now, it's okay to acknowledge the ethos of when the Bible was written, but we don't have to get stuck there, okay? There are multiple references to women in Jesus' ministry and the early church in the New Testament. So when we open the word of God, what do we see? Quickly, I think we see Father God valued creating women, giving her purpose and a partnership in multiplying the earth and subduing it. You see Jesus, born of an incredible woman and his life ending with many women standing by him at the crucifixion. Not to mention Mary Magdalene, who was the first to go to an empty tomb where Jesus had been and the first to recognize his voice after the resurrection. And then we see the Holy Spirit housed in women, just like men, manifesting himself through his character, gifts, and ministries. So I wanna spend a little bit of time today looking at the way Jesus interacted with women. Because Jesus is fully God, I believe that we can gain the deepest insight into looking at his interactions with women being our best example. But let's start in Genesis. Jimmy always has to start in Genesis. That's where we're gonna to start today. <laughs> Women, the Father created you. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
we see here there are two genders. And according to scripture, only two. And both are good. Both are valuable. Both reflect the glory of God. And both are delightful to the heart of God, the eyes of God, and the ears of God. He wants to fellowship with people from both genders. So rejoice, all of you. And Jesus said that even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And there is imagery in the Song of Songs to show you that, quote, you have stolen his heart with one glance of your eyes. You're known by him and loved by him. Now in Genesis 2, there is a more descriptive account than Genesis 1 of the forming of Adam and Eve. And in verse 2, 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Now, some of you are used to hearing the word helper in some translations instead of helpmeet in King James Version. I want us to dig a little bit deeper into the original Hebrew for this phrase, helpmeet, because I believe uh, it's gonna help you not have a potentially distorted view of women that might've come from a, a quick or imprecise translation of the word helper. Okay, some of you might think helper, what comes to my mind when I think of a helper is like an assistant or maybe a companion who's just along for the ride. But the term in its original Hebrew means something much more profound than just a helper. And when we understand what God was saying, we come to see Eve's role and the role of women on the earth as a much different light. So in Hebrew, the two words for help meet are derived from the words ezer and the word konegdo. You can see there on the screen, ezer and konegdo. Now we're gonna first look at konegdo. It's hard to know exactly what this word means because it's only used one time in all of scripture. It can mean in front of or opposite or exactly corresponding to, like when you look at yourself in a mirror. So Eve was not designed to be exactly like Adam. She was designed to be his mirror opposite, possessing the other half of the qualities, responsibilities, and attributes which he lacked. Adam and Eve were physically mirror opposites, one having internal reproductive organs and the other external, but fit together perfectly to create life. Similarly, their divine stewardship was designed to be opposite. Eve was Adam's complete spiritual equal, endowed with qualities that was opposite from his. Now, the second part of the word you had up on the screen is easer. And you might think that sounds a little bit familiar to you from the 1 Samuel 7, the word Ebenezer. Some of you remember singing that in a hymn, okay? But Ezer is used to describe the power of God's deliverance. So Ebenezer, Eben is rock, and Ezer is help or salvation. So you have rock of help or rock of salvation. That's who God is to us. Now that's the same root word that God used to describe who Eve was. She was not intended to be just Adam's helper or just his companion. Rather, she was intended to be his deliverer of sorts, there to save him in a manner. Now, I'm not saying that she was salvation like Jesus is to us, okay? Nobody get an idea there, wrong idea. But in a way, so help me can be strength and savior 
or opposite and exactly corresponding to. So women help to assist men in their stewardship and women have been given stewardship that's uniquely theirs and which is every bit as important as man's stewardship. It seems through imprecise translation, our understanding of the powerful words used originally in Hebrew to describe Eve's role have been diminished. So as a result, our understanding of women has been diminished. Everybody get that? Suppose we had all been taught to understand Genesis 2.18 as something like this. This is my phraseology. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a companion of strength who is opposite and equal with him. God created men and women in his image. He gave both Adam and Eve a mandate to subdue the earth and take dominion over it. Now, we're not here to glorify women today, nor are we here to disparage men. We aren't here to elevate women above men. Men and women are created equally before God. You know, the world tends to disparage one in order to make the other feel better, but that's not God's way. And in order to value women, we don't have to devalue men. That's the world's way of dealing with our failure to appropriately value women. So secular efforts to increase the status of women have largely failed as we have seen with the feminist movement of the 20th century. The movement at times has disparaged men, which robs us of godly masculinity, which God has created for all of our benefit. And in seeking to elevate the status of women, the movement has also at times attempted to do so at the cost of robbing women of their God-given gift of femininity and what makes them so distinctive. The whole message of the feminist agenda is that there's nothing at all that extraordinary about women for they're just like men. The Bible though tells a very different story. I quote a preacher in my study. When the Bible expressly talks about the marks of an excellent woman, the stress is always on feminine virtue. The most significant women in scripture were influential not because of their careers, but because of their character, like courage, faith, purity, perseverance. The message biblical women collectively show us is not about gender equality, although they are equal. It's about true feminine excellence. And this is always exemplified in moral and spiritual qualities rather than just by social standing, wealth, or physical appearance. Although we all know that women excel in physical experience, appearance above men. Women, please don't hear the comment about virtue or character as any sort of put down because the reality is it's not lesser than. According to scripture, which is our truth, God is interested in character and heart. You excel in the things that matter most to God. 1 Samuel 16, seven, for people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You know, in scripture, we even find wisdom personified as a woman and the church being the bride of Christ. God does not shy away from giving credit to women of faith and to using metaphors that require female imagery. Women, you are no accident. 
You were created on purpose and for a purpose. Secondly, Jesus validates you. He demonstrated on many occasions that women were truly seen by him. You know, in Matthew 9, there was a woman with a bleeding disorder who came and had touched him because she believed that if she could just touch him, she would be healed. But I love a phrase in that passage. It says, he turned and he saw her. You might just read over that and not think much of it, but I think, what value? If I turn and I see you, Gail, you know that I care. If I know your name when you walked in this morning, you know I care. He responded gently by calling her daughter. She had a big heart and a lot of faith. And to show that Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and he instantaneously healed her. There's another passage in Luke 21 where Jesus was watching people put money into the temple treasury. And again, it says, he saw the poor widow put in her two coins, her small number of coins. You know, he knows, he saw her. He knew what she was giving up. See women, when he sees, well, he sees you live by faith. He sees where you sacrifice. He sees when you choose to follow him when it's difficult. He sees you choose the narrow way. The validation of women can be clearly seen in Mark 14, three through nine, when Jesus is anointed at Bethany. We're gonna step into that story here. Let's read together. So while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right, a few important things about this story. First, an alabaster jar was usually a long neck jar. Could have been something like the pictures you see here. Designed to hold very expensive perfumes. So this wasn't just Chanel number no. five or Old Spice. These jars were intended to be broken at the time of use and used up completely. Well, that means she wasn't intending to hold back any for herself. The scripture says that she did all that she could. She knew what was truly valuable and gave all of it. You know, and it's sad, but the men were fighting over the waste. The monetary value that was wasted by anointing Jesus. The sad thing is they didn't even know how ridiculous they sounded. They also didn't discern what was happening. Jesus was about to die and she was preparing him 
for burial. Thank you, women, for covering us when we don't discern very well. And notice that she is being ridiculed. Jesus stepped in to defend her with a nice rebuke of, leave her alone. Now, the stern emphasis might have just be mine. But you know, she was focused on worshiping Jesus, not the crowd and what they were saying. She wasn't paying attention to their opinion or their earthly mindset. Women, what's the crowd teasing you about today? What choices have you made to prioritize Jesus that others don't understand? Maybe your friends don't understand the schooling choice you've made for your kids. Maybe you're motivated to get to church a little bit early so that you can serve others. Have you turned down a lucrative career because God's called you into something different? Two weeks ago on Easter, we heard Heather Ray sitting right here. We heard her share her testimony of God's transformative power. I think her story is a great today illustration of Mary's sacrifice when she anointed Jesus. Heather testified that after many poor choices and bad cycles of selfishness and drug use and chasing after the world, she came fully to Jesus. And today she devotes her time to pointing other single moms to Jesus. She fights for her boys to walk with God. And she, quote, just like Mary, wastes her life to worship Jesus. Mary of Bethany's anointing of Jesus was an act of worship, one that Jesus said would be famous. He valued her repentance and love from the heart that was symbolically portrayed in her actions. He validated her existence and her expression of faith. Jesus also demonstrated that women are known by him. In John 4, Jesus engages a Samaritan woman in a conversation when she comes to a well to draw water. And he starts by asking her for a drink. Now, before we move on to the story, we must understand how many cultural barriers Jesus crossed just by talking to a Samaritan. So in Jesus's day, the Jewish people of Galilee and Judea shunned the Samaritans, viewing them as a mixed race who practice an impure and half pagan religion. In the New Testament period, the Jews despised Samaritans and would have nothing to do with them. Nonetheless, Christ shared the good news with Samaritans. He ministered to the woman here in John 4 and he healed a Samaritan leper in Luke 17. So it was a big deal that he was talking with the Samaritan, but it was a bigger deal that he was talking to a she. She was a she. Revelatory, huh? Talking with a woman was also breaking cultural barriers. And in verse 27, it even says, the disciples were surprised that he was talking with a woman. This wasn't necessarily uncommon for Jesus. Luke, who gave ample attention to women in his gospel, notes that Jesus spoke publicly with the widow of Nan, the woman with the bleeding disorder, and a woman who called to him from a crowd. Similarly, Jesus had dressed a woman bent over for 18 years and a group of women on the route to the cross. And at a time that wasn't popular, Jesus publicly recognized women anyway. So back to the story. 
So Jesus converses with the Samaritan woman about the living water that he offers and about her past five husbands and her current live-in boyfriend. He knew all of this without her telling him anything. So of course that astonished her. His conversation was polite, direct, and revealed that that he was the Messiah. Astonished, it says she ran back to her town, forgetting her water jug. Isn't that kind of funny when the Bible tells you random details? So she runs back to her town and she shares about what Jesus just told her, how he knew her. She ushered in salvation to her town. She was an ambassador. She influenced her town being changed forever. Women, tell your story. You connect well with people naturally. You're persuasive. You're honest. Tell of his wonderful works in your life. Joyce Meyer is a well-known Bible teacher, was abused by her father sexually, verbally, etc., during all of her childhood until she was 18. She said she can conservatively recount 200 or more incidences of intimate abuse. She's now found healing and forgiveness towards her father. And today is a world-renowned Bible teacher. She publicly shares her story. She says, it may seem impossible, but God's truth has set me free from a life of pretense and lies and has restored my soul. I am living proof that nothing is too hard for God. And no matter what you've been through or how bad you've been hurt, there is hope. That's why I'm telling my story. That's so powerful. I'm so glad she's telling her story so that others can know Jesus too. Just like the Samaritan woman at the well who led others in her town to Jesus. And you can do the same with your story. Jesus valued women for their fellowship, prayers, service, financial support, testimony, and witness. He honored women, taught women, and ministered to women in thoughtful ways. Okay, let's review. God created you, Jesus validates you, and the Holy Spirit has gifted you. His gifts are not gender-based. We believe God has poured out his spirit on men and women. We see this in Joel 2, 28 and 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Ephesians 4, 7 and 8 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Some English translations say he gave gifts to men. But when they use the word men in those translations, it refers to all of mankind, men and women, the Greek word anthropos, for both men and women. Then continuing in verses 11 and 12, you see it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
It's our biblical interpretation as a movement that this passage is in context of the earlier verses, and it's saying that these equipping gifts are not specifically gender-based, but are open to men and women. God gave gifts to mankind, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. And in 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven, it reinforces this about the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, men and women, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then we go on to a listing of nine different gifts that are given to all persons. Therefore, we believe men and women can operate in the manifestation gifts of the Spirit that we've looked at this past semester, this school year, when we've studied 1 Corinthians. Things like words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation. They're open to all of us. In 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Paul discusses at length spiritual gifts given to the church. Nowhere in those passages does Paul say that certain gifts are only for men and others for women. All are given by the Spirit to each one to build up the church. Now, we, I could take time and highlight more awesome women in the Bible, like Mary, Esther, Ruth, Deborah, and Hannah, that were used powerfully to usher in God's purpose. But instead of just looking at famous women being used by God in the Bible, let me give you examples of women in our church right here that are using their gifts to glorify God and build up others. Lisa Davis, see up her in the front row up here. She emailed a few of our leaders a week ago about a dream that she had recently. And her dream confirmed to me what God is highlighting for us as church leaders in this season. She put into words things that I had questions about. Lisa serves as a pillar on our prophetic team. And even this week, she and a handful of other prophetic pillars came to our staff retreat, prayed and prophesied over all of our staff. It was so refreshing. Christiana Reinhardt, she's been using her gift, teaching in the community to educate our children while she and Eric raised two of their own. She was just recently honored as Midway District Elementary Teacher of the Year. As she yields her heart and life to God, she is impacting many children's lives with God's love through her teaching. Way to go, Christiana. Christy Ogden, sitting right here in the front row. She oozes the gift of hospitality. If you've ever had the pleasure of being hosted in her home, you're gonna get to experience peace, an abundance of good food, a visually pleasant home experience, and lots of fun, good conversation, and always a smile, just like this picture and just like she is on the front row. Now there's hundreds of you, I wish I could name all of you, I'm gonna finish with Tanya Carpenter. As you can see here in the picture, Tanya on your left. She identified a need in our community to support moms and families with education and support for breastfeeding, postpartum recovery and infant care. There was a gap in our community for lactation and doula services. So she used her apostolic gifts to create a nonprofit business to meet this need. She has the vision, raises the money, 
and has persevered to build up women and families in our community. Way to go, Tanya. The Bible gives us many examples of women leading, prophesying, and teaching. And I could name about 15. He also used women to plant and oversee churches. He used Priscilla to teach Apollos. He used Philip's daughters to prophesy to Paul and others on his team. And he used Phoebe and Chloe to represent the important affairs of local churches. God is gifting women that make themselves available to him to be a part of his fun and important kingdom work. So God has created you. Jesus validates you. The Holy Spirit has gifted you and we need you. We need you for friendship. We see in the New Testament that Jesus was friends with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We see two different interactions with them of Jesus being in their home. One was the famous passage where Martha keeps serving and Mary sits at his feet. Obviously, Jesus was very comfortable with them. He valued these women. He had concern for them and what occurred in their lives. This is evident in John 11, when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus in another town that their brother Lazarus was sick. Jesus, oh, sorry. And it says in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love that, it's a powerful verse. Revealing Jesus's intimate feelings towards Lazarus and his sisters. And that deep love moved his heart to go out of his way to come comfort them and to heal Lazarus. When he arrived and saw Mary weeping and the other Jews with her weeping, it says he was deeply moved. And many of you know this famous verse that you have memorized because it was short. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And more than you accomplished memorizing a Bible verse, let's notice his compassion, his emotion that was stirred because of his deep care for this family. Let me give you an example from my life. My friend, Connie Dunn, there have been many instances where she has encouraged me or prayed for me. Those are meaningful. And the other day in the office, she sought out my advice. Her husband, Sean, was out of the country serving refugees in Poland. Don't we all do that? We do, because we send teams there constantly. But she wanted some input on a challenge that she was facing. And she said, hey, can, can I t ask you about something? And so when I walked away from the conversation with her, what stuck out to me was that she had referred to me as brother. And I just thought, wow, that seems so accurate and wholesome. It's possible to have holy male-female friendship. Now it helps that Dorothy's a close friend of Connie's and I'm a close friend of Sean's and I suggest that. But men and women, we need each other in friendship. We also need each other for partnership in the gospel. We have been studying 1 Corinthians this entire school year. And I wanna close this morning by looking at 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman but everything comes from God. Now the phrase in the Lord there shows us that it is the will of God and according to his ordination and his appointment. 
that the one should not be without the other. Men need women in their life and women need men. This is the way God made us. Anybody operating independently is not going to be near as blessed as they could be. Christianity rejects the independence of both men and women from each other, insisting that both need each other and we both need the Lord. Neither gender is inferior and neither is dispensable back to where we started with creation. I wanna point out that there is a passage in 1 Corinthians 14 about women in the church that is often misunderstood. Now, the purpose of today's sermon is not to dissect that passage, but Antioch does have a statement paper on women in ministry that's available to you on our movement website at antioch.org. So we're not skipping that passage. We just don't have time to dig deeply into this seri- in this series on 1 Corinthians. But I wanna encourage you to study that resource on antioch.org that we've already developed. All right, another passage, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul announces that both men and women are one in Christ. Christ has redeemed every aspect of sin, including separation between the sexes. The old distinctions, the old divisions, they've been broken down. The cross tears down social barriers. It was sin that brought the curse on men and women in the beginning. And it's the cross that takes the consequences of those sin away if we submit to it. The old way of relating between the sexes of dominance, seduction, and deception... There's a new way, a way of servanthood, purity, and honesty. And this passage in Galatians 3 restores the roles that God gave to both men and women in Genesis 1 to take dominion together as equal partners over the earth and to subdue it. Let's close by looking at a fabulous partnership in the New Testament, the ministry of a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They're a fantastic example of men and women working together in the gospel. And in Romans 16, Paul says that Priscilla and Aquila were his co-workers in Christ Jesus. And it also says that the Bible, I mean, in the Bible, it says that the church met in their home. I love it. Life group, men and women meeting together around the Lord to build each other up. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers native to Rome. And after the persecution of the Jewish people under the emperor Claudius, they made their way to Greece where they encountered the apostle Paul and tutored the dynamic evangelist Apollos. Their impact on these Christian leaders and the bravery they demonstrated with the early church became legendary. And they are mentioned, referenced in four different New Testament books. Their lives point out the importance of true Christian hospitality. When Paul arrived in their community, they gathered in a worn out traveler. They provided shelter, company, and income for him, advancing his missionary journeys. In Ephesus, they followed the same template with Apollos, perhaps sharing what they learned from Paul to strengthen the witness of this remarkable, remarkable young preacher. It says in Acts 18, that while in Ephesus, they met the Egyptian evangelist Apollos. 
And even though it says he was a learned man who spoke accurately and with great fervor, his knowledge of the way of God was incomplete. Recognizing the opportunity to invest in this young leader, Priscilla and Aquila invited him into their home and it says they explained to him the way of God more adequately. But what's even more interesting about the reference to this couple is the order in which their names are mentioned. In the seven references to this couple, the wife is mentioned before the husband five times. That's somewhat uncharacteristic of the naming conventions in the Bible that we most likely we see most often. It just suggests that Priscilla played a leading role in their ministry work. Now, I didn't say she was the leader because we don't really know that, but obviously it reinforces this 1 Corinthians 11 interdependence. Men and women working together in partnership for the gospel. For us at Antioch Waco, this happens very clearly. Here's a picture of our strategy team that's been working together this past year to manage the strategy and implementation of our church's vision and mission. When we're together, we're all unified. All the gifts and voices are valued. You've got Laura, Shannon, and Maddie contributing equally with Jimmy, Vincent, Jeff, and Sean. I'm so thankful for each of the women on this team. We couldn't be near where we are without them. So that's what we're shooting for, an environment where women feel seen, valued, and partners in the gospel. Could we have all the women stand up? Not just moms, all women. I wanna make sure you just clearly hear that you are loved today. You've been created by God. Jesus demonstrates his validation of women, that he sees you, he knows you. The Holy Spirit has gifted you. Some of you may be more in touch with that than others of what your gifts are, but I would say they're there. And he wants to keep using you. He wants you to tell your story to lead others to Jesus, to influence our city. And we just wanna say again, we need you. So I'm just gonna pray, okay, that all those truths, all the scripture we went over, all that we see in the Bible, whether that's been your past experience or not, that's truth and that's what we wanna see happen here. That's what we want you to experience among this community. So men, maybe just stretch out a hand towards a woman that's near you and let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just, uh, we come before you as your sheep, men and women. God, we haven't experienced your truth in its fullness, but we just say that we want to. And Lord, right now I pray, would you visit every heart in this room? Would you show today how much you value each female in this room? Whether they felt overlooked or not valued or forgotten, Lord, would you minister the truth right now that you see them, that we see them? God, I'm asking for your impartation today 
that they'd be set free from any lie. Lord, they'd be grounded in the truth today of who you are and who you've called them to be, that you've created them on purpose and for a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.